Before I begin, I want you, each of you, to ask yourselves arguably one of the toughest questions that you can ask yourselves about your Christian faith. The question is, why do you believe? Why do you trust in a God that you cannot see with the naked eye? What keeps you from coming back to your faith in spite of your doubts and in, sometimes in spite of your pain? Surely you have wondered whether it really makes sense to believe there is a good God in heaven when things around you here on earth are less than good, perhaps even worse than that, horrendous. There is, I think, a stubborn unbeliever in every single one of us here tonight. We all need to say with the man who asked Jesus to heal his little boy, Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Sometimes we believe in spite of evidence that everything is so wrong, God must be dead. So, what is it that keeps bringing us back to faith? What is the real reason we have for believing? Well, arguably there are many reasons for believing, but I believe there is only one real reason. There are many reasons of the head, but one real reason lies at the heart of our faith. If we tonight were to take a poll of believers and ask them, every one of them, throughout the known world, why they believe, you will find almost as many reasons as you find believers. But at the heart, they all share one real reason. I'm going to share with you some testimony. I'm going to share with you why I believe. I think all of my reasons for believing are genuine. However, I know none of them is enough. Firstly, my family. I believe because I was brought up in a believing family. I make no bones about it. I don't know what would have happened to Doug Atherton if I were born perhaps to uh, a Chinese family in mainland China, for instance. But as it is, I was led to believe in God as soon as I was told that it was essential to eat my greens. As a family in Liverpool, we did a lot of believing we had to because faith was about all that we had. There's an old children's chorus that goes, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. However, 
I might legitimately change the words and say, Jesus loves me, this I know, for my mother told me so. Of course, I'm not alone. Perhaps many of us here tonight believe because of our believing families. A reporter once asked the great theologian Karl Barth, Sir, you have written many huge volumes about God. How do you know it is all true? The learned German raised an eyebrow and almost eyes laughing said in answer, Because my mother told me so. <laughs> Families are God's primary missionary societies. I'm convinced of it. God's romance with the human race is a family affair. Very often we believe because our parents first told us about the love of God and then lived that love right in front of us. Sadly, however, it does not always work that way, does it? Some children become unbelievers because of the professing believing family members. They quit believing that a heavenly father loves them because their earthly father never did. And besides, a lot of people become Christians in spite of their unbelieving parents. Our families might help, but they are the, never the real reason for believing. The church. I believe, secondly, because the church put its loving arms of caring ministry around me and sometimes put the fear of God into me. My faith was conceived in the womb of the body of Christ. St. Augustine might well have exaggerated a little when he said, I would never have believed had it not been for the church. But it was the church after all that parlayed the message of Jesus Christ across the ages. Was it not? It was the church, after all, that seen to the translation of the wonderful scriptures, the word of God. It was the church that enlisted missionaries and sent out preachers of the gospel to every new generation. Now I know the church is an earthen vessel. Consequently, therefore, in so many ways, it's flawed. But for all of its humanity, the church is still Jesus' way of walking the streets and the alleys of every ancient and modern town. For all our humanity, Koyapenmain Community Church is still God's chosen conduit through which he will walk the streets of Trachlan, and win men and women, boys and girls, here in Pontypridd, to himself. The church gets credit for, if you like, an assist when people believe, but it's not the real reason. The church is, in fact, often a very serious stumbling block to faith. Wouldn't you agree? 
Oftentimes I hear people say, I would believe if it were not for the church. Ouch. When people get a shocking peek at the seamy, sin-infected side of the fallible church, they often become cynics instead of believers. No, my friends, the church cannot be the real reason for believing. There must be something deeper. And in my case, thirdly, the arguments. I like a good argument, don't you? Being a sad case, I joined the debating society at Sixth Form College. I love to debate. And oftentimes would, would, would debate uh, the opposite view, just, just to be awkward. Just to play the devil's advocate, as they say. Just to wind them up. I love a good argument. And there are lots and lots of arguments that prove that God exists. That prove that Jesus is who he said he was. Perhaps you've listened to the arguments. I guess I've listened to them all in some way, shape or form down the years. Some of them, frankly, could not stand up under close and good counter-attack. But many of these arguments, for me, have been helpful down the years. Some of them have been really persuasive. I, for one, am helped a great deal by sound arguments that Jesus really must have risen from the dead. Good arguments can be a real support in our believing And even poor arguments can help the people who are convinced by them. But they cannot be the real reason for my faith. Not for me at least. You see, if I tested and rested my faith in my ability to prove it, I would perhaps wonder whether some young young smart philosopher would come along one day uh, and turn my arguments to shreds. Besides, there's an awful lot of questions I still cannot answer. If my faith was based upon argument, then it would fall down here. I cannot give a convincing answer to why some people have to suffer so much in life. A little suffering, perhaps I can handle that in my argument. But I can't understand how some people have to suffer suffer so much. And children suffering? I cannot rest my faith in arguments. I cannot rest my faith on my ability to think things through. The real reason for my believing must come from another corner of my life, therefore. The Bible. There's an old Sunday school chorus we used to sing back home in Liverpool. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's enough for me. I stand alone on the word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. Do you know it? Mm, You oldies do. Only the book. The book definite article only the book and the book is enough the book tells us of jesus the book teaches us about grace 
The book tells us what to believe. Christian faith is heir to the book. It feeds from the book. It is taught from the book. Only the people who keep listening to the word of God in the book keep faith alive. And churches that turn away from the book are bound to be losers as far as faith is concerned. The Bible is solid reason for believing in Jesus Christ. But it's not the real reason. It is a necessary but not a sufficient reason. You see, friends, I do not believe in Jesus because I first believe in the Bible. I believe in the Bible because I first believed in Jesus. Jesus is the really real reason for believing the Bible and not the other way around. So what have we left? If it is not my family, if it is not the church, if if it is not my arguments, if it is not even the Bible, what is the real reason for Doug Atherton believing? Why do I believe? Well, let's go back to the text. Always a good thing to do. That was my introduction. (laughs) My homiletics are getting much worse, aren't they? (laughs) I'll speed through. Figuratively speaking, Jesus said to Nathanael in verse 51, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I said figuratively, why? Because there is no scriptural account of Nathanael Seeing this vision with the naked eye at least. No account whatsoever. The angels here, I believe, are a flashback to Jacob. And that account in Genesis chapter 28, remember? The crooked wheeler dealer in whom guile flowed like a water, like water down a waterfall. Jacob was the self-absorbed manipulator who had cheated his brother out of his inheritance by sleight-of-hand trickery. But now Jacob was running. He was running from his brother. He was running from his family. He was running from God. A fugitive running from a gracious God. That's the picture in Genesis 28. That's the picture, I believe, that Jesus is endeavoring to communicate to Nathaniel in John chapter 1. A fugitive, a sinner, running from God. But Jacob had no chance, hallelujah, for God had a mind to catch him. Jacob fled. But God outmaneuvered him. Jacob fled, but God outpestered him and eventually caught him. And when he was caught by God, Jacob discovered that he had been subdued by grace. Hallelujah. 
And Jesus was communicating to Nathaniel, the same is going to happen to you. When God catches up with you, Nathaniel, you will see that you have been subdued by grace. One of my favorite Christian poem, poets is perhaps the, uh, the saddest Christian poet, Francis Thompson. A poor, sad Christian poet. And he probably had in mind Jacob and perhaps himself. And maybe he even had us in mind when he wrote his poem, Hound of Heaven, about his own flight from grace. Let me read some of it to you. Indulge me, I enjoy poetry. I fled him. Down the nights and down the days. I fled him. Down the arches of the years. I fled him. Down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind. And in the midst of tears, I hid from him. From those strong feet. That followed, followed after. But with unhurrying chase, an unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, they beat, and a voice beat more instant than the feet. That voice is round me like a bursting sea. Lo, all things fly thee, for thou flyest me. Whom wilt thou find to love ennoble thee? Save me, save only me. Ah, fondest, blindest, weakest, I am he whom thou seekest. Ah, fondest, blindest, weakest, I am he. Whom thou seekest. This is what Jacob discovered, you see. He was running away from the source of love. Running away from grace. But it seems he could not escape. Bless God. God is too persistent in his love. Too stubborn in his grace. And when he was caught, he discovered that the one chasing him was not his enemy at all, but his best friend, more than that, his Savior. This was the meaning of Jacob's dream in Genesis chapter 28. His ladder that came from heaven down to earth was symbolic of a loving Heavenly Father in pursuit of the sinner. The angels ascending and descending, symbolic of a loving Heavenly Father doing all that He could to reach down to sorry earth and to reach down to sinful people. Jesus told Nathanael that he, like Jacob, would see angels. In other words, that he would come to see that the real reason for believing was the same as Jacob's reason. 
An experience with a God who seeks us out. An experience with a God who hunts us down until he captures our soul. And so it is, my friends. So it is with you and I. So it was with Doug Allen and remains. The real reason for my believing is that I, I have seen Jacob's ladder. Hallelujah. Not at Peniel, at the ancient, in the ancient desert, not in Judea. I have seen Jacob's ladder in my bedroom. At 108 Deepdale Drive, Rainhill, Liverpool, I have seen Jacob's ladder. I've seen angels ascending and descending. All symbolic of that wonderful day when God, my Father in heaven, in and through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, sought me out. Hallelujah. He sought me out. That's why I believe. Hallelujah. Father God sought me out. In spite of my best efforts to ignore him, he sought me out. In spite of my best efforts to avoid him, he sought me out. In spite of my best efforts to to sidefoot him, he sought me out. In spite of my best efforts to flee from his presence, God sought me out. Thirteen-year-old boy, there in my bedroom, the angel of the ladder of Jacob descended from heaven to earth, and Father God sought me out. Hallelujah. That's why I believe the gift of faith. And to poet Francis Thompson once again, I've had a week of poetry. (laughs) You can tell. Blesses my soul. In his poem, In No Strange Land, he, he speaks of his testimony. He was from Charing Cross, hence this poem. But When so sad, thou canst not sadder cry, and upon thy so sore loss shall shine the traffic of Jacob's ladder pitched betwixt heaven and charring cross. I like that. And lo, Christ walking on the water, not of Gennesaret, but of the Thames. Hallelujah. In my case, the ladder was betwixt heaven and Liverpool, and the waters were the blessed waters of the River Mersey. But nevertheless, it was the same God that sought Doug Atherton out. And as he sought me out then, so he keeps seeking me out. Because even as a child of God, I still, I still, for, for, for strange and unknown reasons perhaps, I still do my best to upset him, to annoy him, to grieve the Holy Spirit, to flee from his presence. I still do my, my best to ignore him from day to day. How, how strange is that? You think I would know better? You think you would know better, wouldn't you? But oftentimes times he's knocking on the door of our lives. We're too busy today, Lord. Too busy. Too much going on today. 
for the Lord. Still knocking. Still knocking. Still seeking. Oh, my child, my friend in Christ, are you going to open the door? Are you going to open the door? Behold, says Christ, writing to a church. In Laodicea, it happened to be. But writing tonight to Kuiper Mine Community Church. Lo, he says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and welcomes me in, I will come in and sup with him. I love that, don't you? I love supper. My favorite meal of the day is supper. After a long day of, of wheeling and dealing, after a long day of making a mess of life, isn't it good to sit down at night and have supper? Oh. He's going to come in and sup with Doug Allen tonight. I love it. He's going to have supper with me. He's going to sup with me. And I with him. Fellowship, you see. Fellowship in the most intimate sense. All because of the gift of faith. Why do I believe? Because of my family? No. My church? Good church? But no. My arguments? Oh, many good arguments. <laughs> no. The Blessed Bible? I love it dearly. But no. Why do I believe? Because on that fateful day when I was 13 years of age, First Sunday in May, God sought me out. And metaphorically, the, the ladder was stretched from heaven to earth. Angels descending and descending. And God opened the eyes of Doug Atherton. Did I understand it? Not at all. Did I experience it? Yes, I did. Oh, I experienced the power of God in salvation. Could I describe it then? Not one bit. Can I describe it now? Not at all. But boy, if I had to put words to it, would, 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 would take something from it. Do you know what I'm saying? Put words to your experience in Christ. It takes from it, doesn't it? Because words are inadequate. God sought me out and saved me. And God has sought me out since on many occasions. Boy, oh boy. And sometimes give me a clip around the ear. Oh, Ow, Lord, what was that for? You know, a loving Heavenly Father clip? Have you had those lately? Oh, you're far too saintly, clearly. But I have had a few of those, those loving Heavenly Father clips around the ear. Oh, but because He loves me. And He keeps seeking me out. He's bringing me back into line. I'm like a child who's, who strays onto the road. And if I stay on the road, of course, I'm going to get knocked over. My father jumps up, pulls me back into line. How wonderful. I believe. Because God's grace has grabbed me and grabs me still in the depths of my life and will not let Doug Atherton Go. Hallelujah. So I can echo with the hymn writer George Matheson. Oh love that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. 
what else can I do? I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths its flow might richer, fuller be. How's your experience of Jesus tonight? My Christian brother, sister, how's your experience of Jesus? Is it richer and fuller than it was yesterday? Is it richer and fuller than it was last Sunday? Should be. Could be. Do you fancy it? Because he's seeking you out again. He's knocking on the door of your heart, my child. Hey, what about it? Let's have supper tonight. Hallelujah. Let's have supper. Oh, but I'm not, I haven't got the right clothes on. Doesn't worry about that, my child. Oh, but, but I don't feel... No, 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 just come as you are. Without one plea. But that thy blood was shed for me. That thou bids me come to thee, O Lamb of God. I can't. I want supper with Jesus tonight. Because his faith is... Like, the faith I have is his gift to me. Do you want supper with Jesus? <laughs> oh, it's fabulous. It's better than Horlicks. Supper with Jesus. Better than hot chocolate. Oh, yeah. Come on, he says. I'm knocking. Do you want a fresh experience of Christ? The fresh fullness of his Holy Spirit. A fresh empowering for Christian service. Do you want your testimony to sound fresh? He sought you out again. <laughs> Isn't he good? Maybe you can't remember the day when you opened your heart to Christ. Probably because you never have. Oh, my friend, Jesus is knocking tonight. Will you come home to him? Softly and tenderly, says the hymn writer, he's knocking. He's calling. Come home to him. Oh, you who are weary, come home. Why do I believe? Because he sought me out. Hallelujah.